0: Wednesday Bible studies we are taking a deep dive into certain aspects of our Sunday studies we are in some of the most fascinating history that we read in the Bible now you could say that about many parts of the Bible as we continue over the next few weeks we are going to see some things that I think would challenge the best fiction that there is. It's just so absorbing, so engrossing. I believe it was Monday evening when we were reading the assigned chapters that we went back and read some of the things from numbers that corresponded. And again, it's such enriching history. It's not theoretical, it's not something that is unrelatable. It speaks very deeply to us, and so God intended. Remember, that's what the Apostle Paul was emphasizing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All these things concerning Israel, and he specifically named four scenarios of how they interacted with God and really how they failed. And he said, these things were written as an example for you upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, these are important studies. They have much to say to us. And that's one reason why we are taking the second time around on Wednesday evenings to go a little deeper. This past Sunday, we looked at the words that God spoke to Joshua. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, when you read those verses, It seems as though God is telling Joshua that he can't do anything else. He can't say anything else except for God's Word. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth and then meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So let's begin this evening by asking the question, is God telling Joshua that everything he says is supposed to come from the Bible? And that the only thing he can do is study the book of the law continuously? How would you answer? Well, let's look a few things tonight that will be a bit of deeper digging into what we talked about on Sunday. The blueprint for success that God gave Joshua centered on what you and I are calling the 24-7 priority of God's Word. The term itself is not used But the wording is very explicit. Study continually. Meditate day and night. Joshua 1, 7-8 Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do study this book of instruction continually meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do one of the things that we emphasized on sunday is that we are in fact And we can be very successful without engaging in God's Word. That is true of many people who say they are Christians. That is certainly true of people who are not Christians. There are many people who have no belief in God whatsoever, no knowledge of God's Word, who are, at least by the measurement of life very successful. And yet the problem is that we solve. We are successful according to the system of this world. Anyone can be successful with hard work. Anyone can move ahead with hard work. Taking advantage of opportunities. Applying themselves to ex- themselves to excel and the world will reward them. But one of the problems that we have in Christianity is that we have taken the world's measurement of success and we have substituted it for the success that God is seeking in the lives of his people. We asked the question, what is the opposite of failure? And we saw that the opposite of failure is not success. The opposite of failure in God's eyes is obedience. Specifically, careful and conscientious obedience. If you do a study of Deuteronomy, you will find that the word obey appears 29 times. The word careful appears 20 times, and the word be sure occurs 11 times. One example of that is Deuteronomy 12 and verse 28 be careful to obey all these regulations i am giving you so that it may always go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the lord your god now there are other words and other terms that are used to emphasize this obedience that is careful conscientious these are just a few of the words the fact is that every stress is laid on the response that people would make to the commandments the Lord had given them these weren't just a list of rules and regulations although The word rule and the word regulation was also used along with commands. But rather it was a covenant response, a relationship response to God. God had chosen them as his special possession. And in response, They were to be conscientious in obedience to him. But there are a couple of issues with obedience. Two areas where it gets skewed and goes off in the wrong direction. The first is that it's possible to be careful and conscientious in obedience but be unacceptable. In the evaluation of God. This was the problem with the Pharisees. Saul of Tarsus was one of those Pharisees. They were very careful, very conscientious in obedience to the law. And Jesus ran up against their conscientious obedience again and again throughout his ministry they were very fastidious about not doing any work on the Sabbath. And so when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, they thought that was uh, an egregious violation. He had done work. The violation of the Sabbath was one of the reasons that God sent his people into captivity. Thus, They were especially and acutely aware of this transgression. The Apostle Paul, when he was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, characterized himself as blameless in righteousness according to the law. But in his kingdom sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us, his disciples, that our righteousness must exceed the conscientious law-keeping of the Pharisees, or we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is one issue with conscientious obedience. Because of the fallen nature within us, it can easily become self-righteousness, a matter of pride. We quickly see what we are doing and what someone else is not doing. That is a predisposition that we possess because of our sinful human nature. We are quick to see the difference between us and others. We are quick to sense the disparity and quick to see what we are doing that someone else is not doing and in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke a number of things dealing with that very issue, telling us that we must not judge, telling us that if we did so, we were guilty of ignoring the post or the beam in our own eye when there was just a speck of sawdust. In someone else's eye we must never measure our righteousness by someone else's perceived unrighteousness we must never even measure our careful and conscientious obedience by someone else's failure to obey. Our only measurement is Jesus Christ. We measure ourselves by Him. God doesn't judge us because we are not as good as someone else. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, how? By the righteousness that came through Jesus Christ. And so we only ever measure ourselves by Jesus Christ. When our eyes look at someone else's failure with anything else, but grace love that covers a multitude of offenses and the spirit of reconciliation and restoration, then we have failed to be obedient to the commands of Jesus to love as he has loved. The second issue with obedience is assumed obedience. It looks like something real, but in reality, we said it's a hollow representation with no actual substance. It's coming to church on Sunday, it's sitting there singing the songs, saying amen at the appropriate times, and then leaving, but there's no thought of God's Word in guiding the aspect of life, whatever it might be, as we go through the week. It is being disconnected from God's Word. It's being disconnected from the dynamics that are supposed to characterize us as the body of Christ. Being disconnected from the purposes of God. And assumed obedience. We, for all intents and purposes, appear to be following Christ. But in reality, the substance of the life of Christ at work within us to produce Christ's likeness, to produce the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, it is missing. Let's think for a moment about things that are missing. Specifically, The Missing Dynamic. I could have phrased this or titled this point, The Missing Dynamics. And I do want to go beyond just the singular, uh, hopefully not going in too many directions that we don't see the central point. But within obedience, often there is a missing dynamic when it comes to God's word being translated into obedience. A missing dynamic. One of the things that you and I see emphasized by the Lord God in Deuteronomy is the fact that he chose Israel not. For their outstanding qualities, but simply because he loved them. I didn't choose you because you were so righteous. Didn't even choose you because you were willing. In fact, you are stubborn people. Remember your background and your history, your ancestors such as Abraham's father and grandfather, served other gods, worshipped idols. So when I chose you, it wasn't because you had the pedigree, the heritage, the ethnicity, the culture, the background that made you commendable to me. In fact, in every way, God is emphasizing You had no qualifications that I would choose you. No qualifications that I would make you my treasure possession. No qualifications that I would choose you as the unique instrument through which I would reveal myself to the other nations. No qualifications in me choosing you to carry out my purposes. Here on earth, God simply chose them because he loved them. In very blunt terms, the apostle Paul expressed it when he wrote to the Romans and the words of God, Jacob, I loved Esau. I hated." God chose them because he loved them. Isn't that the same basis that God chose you and I? And with that choice came revelation. Whenever God chooses, God always reveals. When God chooses us to do something for Him, then He will give revelation. Revelation of His sufficiency that will enable us to do it. Revelation of His desires and purposes for us, Why he wants us to do it, how he wants us to do it. With choice will always come revelation. As you and I think back, God revealed himself in very specific ways to Abraham. We can think, for example, of God taking Abraham outside and telling him to look up in the sky and try to count the stars. Or telling him to to prepare a sacrifice. And then God coming down and walking between the pieces of that sacrifice and making covenant with Abraham. Or commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son. And then when Abraham obeyed, appearing to him there on the mountain, And further establishing covenant with Abraham that would ultimately result in the coming of his greatest descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. God revealed himself in the same way, in very specific ways, to Isaac and then to Jacob. Jacob, whose name meant supplanter or deceiver, that was his character. And yet, immediately following his greatest deception, absconding with the covenant blessing, cheating his brother out, the Lord God appeared to him there at Bethel, where his grandfather Abraham had set up an altar, and called upon the Lord. And God made covenant with Jacob. There were other times when Jacob encountered the Lord, and the Lord encountered Jacob. Such as wrestling by the Jabbok Brook. Or after the debacle at Shechem. When the Lord told Jacob, to leave with his family and go back to Bethel. And the Lord renewed covenant with Jacob again, again with choice comes revelation. And then God revealed himself to Israel in Egypt, at the red sea in the wilderness. Remember that with choice comes revelation. And with revelation comes enablement. God's word is living, it is powerful, it is the embodiment and the expression of His nature, His life, His character. It's not just words on the page. Jesus said, The words I speak our spirit, and they are life. God's Word is life-giving. Now, to the skeptic and the unbeliever, it means nothing. But to the one whom God has chosen, to whom He has revealed Himself as Lord, Savior, Father, the one who is the truth and the way his words become powerful, life giving enablement. Moses warned Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach no the word is very near you it is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it remember that he is speaking to the children of the generation who watch their parents not trust god not obey god cower in fear every one of those adults standing there hearing moses speak these words had buried their fathers in the desert. In the desert they had died because God had decreed not one of this generation will enter the land because you did not obey me. So they had this colossal example of inability to obey to overcome fear, to take the step of faith, to believe that the unknown was not too fearful and the impossible was not really intimidating. On the other side of the ledger, they only had two men as examples of obedience. How would they respond? Moses is reminding them that it's not difficult. These commands and regulations, they aren't too much. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Look at that word heart. It appears numerous times in Deuteronomy we think most especially of what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 6 which Jesus said is the greatest commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart we said on Sunday that with love comes commitment and with commitment Comes the investment of time effort priorities it is in your heart that is part of the work of God choosing he makes our hearts responsive to him he enables us to embrace What he is saying. Nevertheless, there's still a choice for us to make every time that we hear the word of God. The writer to Hebrews warned Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. The way that it's translated in the 1984 edition of the NIV, they did not combine with faith what they heard. So whenever you and I hear the Word of God, how do we respond to it? Is faith missing? Or do we embrace it with faith? If God impresses on our hearts, this is what I've called you to do. How do we respond? Do we combine it with faith? Or do we render it of no value? because we do not respond in faith faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God therefore under exposure to the life-giving word will invariably result in an anemic spiritual life weakness A lack of faith, the lack of obedience, but when we prioritize the word in our lives, it transforms us again because it is living. It is powerful. I had thought perhaps that one way that we could dive deeper this evening is simply to read psalm 119 Where almost every verse with the exception of just a couple that are an enlargement of other verses or an expansion every verse emphasizes the word of god its blessings its benefit perspective toward the psalmist who wrote that psalm said, I search out your word as others search for great riches. I find great delight in your commands. Did that come out of himself? He somehow gendered up within him this devotion, this delight? No. It came out of that dynamic of God choosing, God revealing, God drawing us into His life. You see, as you and I expose ourselves more and more to God's Word, we find greater delight in God's Word. Greater interest, greater desire, a greater longing to become like Jesus Christ. As we respond in faith, we find that we have more trust, more confidence. It is easier for us to believe the promises of God, to say yes to God when He wants us to step out into the unknown or the impossible. Any time that we cannot should be a red flag to us that we are anemic and that we need to be more in God's Word so that our faith, our strength, our confidence, our joy is increased. So back to this 24 seven priority and the question I ask you at the very beginning, we said on Sunday that our busy lives and pressing priorities seem to have determined that God's revealed priorities Are obsolete that we can only compete in this world on its terms and not according to God's priorities and we have paradigm for this don't we even in our own lives I made reference to that on Sunday it was even expressed in some of our small group discussion on Sunday of how hard, how difficult it is. That the schedules that we maintain back in the lands where we came from are simply untenable here in the society that we are now living in. Or I think when I was growing up or even just earlier years when I was pastoring here, You know, there was a time probably for all of us when going to church without the ease of getting online was Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening service, Wednesday Bible study, Thursday or Friday prayer meeting. Maybe going out witnessing on Saturday. Some of my most impressionable memories are of men when my dad pastored in West Virginia who worked outdoors doing hard manual labor or worked in the coal mines mining coal by hand If it was outdoors, it was all season work. If it was in the coal mine, it was a long shift of arduous labor. And yet I remember seeing those men always in church on Wednesday night, sometimes fighting sleep to stay awake. But without fail, they were always there. But we seem to have come to a time, and I'm talking about evangelical Christianity in general, not nominal churches, but evangelical churches, when that kind of lifestyle is just simply not possible anymore. It's unapplicable We simply it's irrelevant perhaps to the time in which we live But to think that we can only compete in this world on its terms and not according to God's priorities Is a satanic lie now we talked about ways in which this is manifested in our lives But the fact is that we have in the response of Jesus Christ, when he was tempted in the wilderness, this understanding that we are no better, no stronger, no more successful than we are in loving and obeying God's word. These were be successful temptations. If you really are the son of God, then do this. If then do that if then do something else and jesus responded to each one by quoting from deuteronomy with the addition of psalm 91 in the second temptation which he backed up with a statement from deuteronomy 6 16. so we have the example of Jesus. It begins and ends with God's word. Someone put in the chat box, it's so upside down how we chase blessing but don't prioritize the very things that God tells us will bring his blessing. Amen. So back to the question that I asked at the beginning, let's ask it again in light of Deuteronomy six, verses five through eight. Is this really realistic? And you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves, wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, is it really realistic to make God's word the 24-7 priority of our lives and our families? What do you say? And if you say yes, how do you do it?
1: it uh, when you see uh human you cannot do it but when I think what the Bible says here is my heart my heart I can uh I know I have that experience I dedicate my heart to the Lord even when I'm walking even when I'm speaking to people I don't go uh, I don't uh, disconnecting my heart with God and thanking the goal. I know we needed to do physically some activity to show that we are present to God, we are dedicating God uh, uh, our life. But realistically, as you said, if, uh, we have the fresh and we needed to satisfy the needs of fresh and we have the, the heart uh, where we need to give to God, so I can say that yes, we can dedicate our heart uh, 24 hours, seven uh, seven, seven day uh, to the priority of God in our heart, and then we need also to be to satisfy to to be in the line of protecting of that. Uh, our body, our, our flesh, so you can combine both hmm. and you keep your heart uh, focused to God. This is what I can say.
0: Thank you, Felix. Someone posted in the chat box, yes, but it will require a lot of dying to self. People aren't willing to let go of things, so it's deemed unrealistic. Someone else, is this 24-7 priority realistic? And if so, how?
2: My response would be that it is, it would be sinful not to do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's not extreme, it should be in our lives. And so we know ourselves in every moment that we live outside of the Word of God, whether it be obedience um, to the Word of God or listening to the Word of God or being taught by the Word of God, having the Word of God govern our daily lives and our decision-making, if every moment we live outside of that realm is an opportunity for the flesh and for the enemy. And so it's it's imperative that we live according to the word of God. So it is not, um, it's not, uh, I don't see it as optional. I see it as if we're not there, we need to get there.
0: Hmm. Thank you, Oral. In no uncertain terms, when the Lord was speaking to Joshua, he essentially was saying, wasn't he Oral, that it would be sinful not to? So in speaking about the importance of being in God's word with some of our young people, I don't have time to read a whole chapter a day. So when I can't read a whole chapter a day, I will read the verse of the day. You know, it's sort of like I, I only have time to read that one page in our daily bread. Well, those little devotionals are good. But it's like trying to go all day on 20 calories. And so the interesting thing, or perhaps it's something that is common whenever someone objects, But the very same ones who don't have time to read a chapter have two hours for extracurricular sports activities. So we have time for those things, but we only have 30 seconds for God's Word god wouldn't have commanded us to do something that was unrealistic he wouldn't have commanded us to make the word of god the permeating center of our families if it were impossible with our schedules well they could do that at another, in another era I just can't do that now. The problem is that we, we come to a point like this with our hands already full instead of beginning at this point with our hands empty and letting God determine from there. We have all of these predetermined, factors that in our understanding and really in our lack of faith precludes any deeper investment than what we can see what we can feel we are able to do and so the Word of God gets shortchanged in our lives The fruit of righteousness is not there. The faith to step out and do something greater for God is not there. But oh, if we would only begin to saturate ourselves in God's Word, it would begin to change us change our heart, our desires, change our thoughts, change our emotions, change our will, change our priorities, change our faith. If we begin at this point, God will work more deeply and more profoundly. Within us I am so delighted and encouraged by everyone who responded beginning on Sunday and have responded throughout this week we're reading three chapters a day as we saw on Sunday in our reading it takes less than 15 minutes to read three chapters out loud less to read them silently. But we are encouraging everyone to read as a family. If you're a family of one, well, read out loud. You'll gain more from reading out loud to yourself than reading silently. Or, adopt someone. We want to make the word of God the 24 7 priority of our families and our individual lives and when we do that oh God's living word will transform us and he will be able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his powerful word that is at work in us. Amen. Father, I thank you for your people coming together this evening. Everyone who is here, I am grateful to you that their hearts have been stirred. So, Father, we pray, let this be a new era in each of us individually and in us as a church. Do a new work in our families. We pray that the powerful word of God, as a fire, as a hammer, as water, as bread, to cleanse To break down, to wash and refresh, to nourish and strengthen, that your word will powerfully be at work in each and every life. Father, we pray that this will be a new era for us as a church where our faith will be increased. And we will be in a place of greater spiritual strength so that you can use us for your greatest purposes, to your greatest honor and glory. Father, we pray that this would be what happens. We thank you for one another. We pray your blessing on each other. Keep each one throughout this night should you tarry and we gather together to pray tomorrow morning we will delight to be in your presence to share your word and thankful for your faithfulness to us we pray in the name of Jesus amen Mm -hmm.